Welcome back to the current exchange by Medtronic. What do you foresee will be the biggest, the major developments in the coming years on ECMO? Are there some to be expected? Well, uh, there's there's several things from the research and technology point of view, uh, and then uh, other things that are just biology. The biology is easiest because patients who have profound heart or lung failure will wind up going on ECMO and that becomes standard practice, just like, I don't know, dialysis is for renal failure these days. Um, the, the next disease group that will come to be uh, used or, or ECMO will be used for is septic shock. And so we have a lot of patients now who are in septic shock, uh, but they go on ECMO because of their lung failure or heart failure. I think that's going to evolve to be a big practice for in the future, just with profound septic shock. And you can, it doesn't make sense because, as you know, those patients have very high cardiac output if they have so-called warm shock and, and their problem is vasoplegia. They're all vasodilated peripherally and have cardiac outputs of 10 or 12 liters a minute. And you might think, well, if you add ECMO to that, how can you improve it? Well, in fact, it does improve a lot just buying time. What, what ECMO doesn't treat anything. It just buys time until you can wait for the organ to recover or treat it with something specific. So in septic shock, if you can just get through that period of vasoplegia uh, long enough to treat it, then septic shock will be the next category. On the research point of view, this business about late lung recovery is really fascinating. That's new biology. We never understood that before. And so to determine which patients are going to recover after two months versus which ones are not, for example, uh, and how to determine that, how to enhance it with stem cells or what works the best at the moment is stem cell soup. You just grow it in tissue culture and, and give the supernatant to patient. That seems to be enough. But uh, so the biology of it for lung, acute lung failure is going to change a lot. Uh, the other research point of view is we have to get these patients out of the ICU. So right now, if you have a COVID patient or any patient who's on ECMO for two months of time, that patient's taking up a bed in the ICU. They're not very sick unless something goes wrong. Uh, and then you have another, then you have another. And pretty soon you have five ECMO patients in a 10-bed ICU. And uh, who's going to complain about that? Well, people who complain the loudest are the cardiac surgeons. What do you mean I can't operate tomorrow? There's no ICU bed. Okay. They're the ones who can go down and bang on the desk of the hospital ministry to build a new unit or bang on the desk of researchers like me. This is what I do these days to say, okay, we need to get these patients out of the ICU. What that means is we need wearable artificial lungs after the first week or so that patient isn't getting better. We ought to hook up a device that just hooks to the patient. It won't be implantable. It'll be paracorporeal, but still you can get the patient out of the ICU, have a step-down unit. won't be long before we're actually sending ECMO patients home with no lung function, uh, living on an artificial lung. Yeah, that, that's great. So, so if you then look for the VA ECMO, uh, 
it's it's different. I mean, the VV ECMO has been extremely successful, and and there have been patients that have been saved with VA ECMO, but those are harder. It's often the not the lung that is failing, but of course the heart that is. is well, the, the VA the patients or the pure cardiac failure patients uh, are not harder. They're much easier from the ECMO point of view. Uh, it's just that their brain may or may not recover. So VA ECMO for cardiac failure. Uh, is really interesting. It's not about resuscitating the heart. It's about resuscitating the brain. Because once you get a patient with profound heart failure on on VA ECMO, then managing the heart's no problem at all. You just... Yeah, you pump the blood. Say, yeah, put in a van, yeah. do a transplant. That That's all pretty straightforward. Uh, the problem is, how's the brain? So the algorithm for managing... Patients on VA ECMO is they they they've usually had cardiac arrest or maybe they have profound cardiac failure or maybe they dissected a vessel in the cath lab or they arrested on the street and now they come into the ER whatever happens you get that patient on VA ECMO now they're fine organs are well perfused the the heart is perfused or not doesn't really matter there are some tricks to it but uh, in after a day or so, you wake that patient up and how's the brain? If the brain is fine, great. Now you you have all kinds of options available. If, if you have bad brain injury, uh, th- then you have to stop. And th- that's, that's an important thing to teach people. Uh, well, maybe if we wait another week, then maybe their brain will get better. Don't do that. Just stop it because you will wind up with a lot of patients who have bad brain injury, but, but they're you know, yeah. hardest function. So, so VA is a totally different applications, a different group of docs, different group of ICUs. Yeah. And that's why I say, if you're going to set up an ECMO program, there'll be your cardiac surgery, cardiac ICU, and your respiratory failure group. And those people have to work together because ECMO yeah. is just the same. It's just a matter of how you hook it up. So uh, that, that takes a lot of collaboration. So that brings me to the question then is that, you know, having ECMO machines available on helicopters, you know, when, when a team goes out where a patient is resuscitated, how is that, is that, could it be, will this be successful? Do you think we have to learn that still, whether that's useful or not? Or, You're or asking you about VA ECMO for cardiac arrest outside yes. the hospital? Outside the hospital, with an ECMO machine in the helicopter, bringing it as fast yeah. as su- yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have tried that. You can find YouTube videos of a patient being put on ECMO uh, in the Louvre under the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We've all learned that's a bad idea. Uh, yeah. it, you can put ECMO on in another hospital for sure. That's pretty easy. But to try to do it on the street uh, or in someone's apartment, so it's a bad idea uh, for all kinds of reasons. What is a, What we're learning about now is you take that patient in the Louvre who's had a cardiac arrest and you get them into an ambulance where you can actually put a patient on or better yet, get them to the hospital where they can be put on that that works the best so uh so many centers are studying that the best of them is in minneapolis where demetrius yiannopoulos who is an interventional cardiologist has been working on this for many years you have to work work with your ems system because uh it's it's not the usual practice for your 
paramedics to uh, get a patient who they cannot resuscitate on the site and and put them in an ambulance and bring them to the hospital. Usually, the paramedics do their very best. And if they can't resuscitate the heart, they say this person is dead and that's the end of it. So, so to do it requires a totally different approach by the EMS team. And then once the patient gets to the hospital to get them on ECMO very quickly, usually in the ER or the cath lab, and then go on from there. Uh, so, uh, Dimitri just recently reported about a year ago a randomized trial where he actually uh, did the usual technique of try to resuscitate the patient wherever they are versus bring them to the hospital. And the, the results were dramatic, something like 37 or 40 percent healthy survival compared to 7 percent with the, with the usual technique. But that's after many years of learning how to do it and training the EMS people, but we'll get there. That eventually will be the practice. So, so one very new application that I just heard is that, um, you know, a pretty large your hospital gets about four patients uh, per day in the ER room that is that the, who are being resuscitated. And they said, well, if we put those patients on ECMO quickly there, we can at least preserve the lungs and maybe use them for a lung transplant, which of course raises all kinds of ethical questions and that still needs to be solved. But Well, that, that brings up an entirely should be separate issue. There's a little bit of overlap, which is the use of ECMO to enhance organ transplantation for improving donors, improving the quality of donor organs, of uh, taking a patient who's brain dead but has perfectly well-functioning organs on ECMO uh, should you use those organs for transplantation. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating area and we're, we're doing a lot, of, a lot of work on that at Michigan and a lot of other, a lot of other places. But as you say, the, the biggest problems are sort of pseudo-ethical problems uh, just, you know you work really hard to keep this patient alive now they're dead okay let's take out his organs <laughs> you can imagine the problem there are two countries in the world that are doing this uh, more than anyone else and doing it very well spain and the netherlands and the reason is that in those countries the the law is and not only that the practice is that a dead body is owned by the state, and so you can do whatever needs to be done with it. Now, the docs who do this are very good, and they're very compassionate docs. So someone comes into the ER, and now they're dead, and now you have the whole family out there, so on and so forth. So they don't just say, oh, by the way, we took your husband's kidneys and heart and lungs out uh, before I came to talk to you. They, they don't do it right. that way, but at least they have oh the legal right to do that. So they're making the most progress in this area. Yeah. yeah. So maybe by my real last question, uh, Dr. Bartlett, um, is um, if you don't look at a company like Medtronic, uh, what they should do and uh, how they can help. So if I'm a little bit selfish, what I always told them, um, always said, I would like to have a cannula for distal perfusion in the leg. And the other one is the um, left venting when you put a patient on ECMO. That was always my wish, you know, and, and still dreaming what, about what 20. Was the, what was the second one? The, the a left vent, that you can put a left vent. Oh, left vent. Yeah, left vent. Right. Well, I'll tell you about those two specific 
things. But, uh, and as I'm sure you know, Medtronic uh, has been essential in all of this development from the very early days in the 70s up until the uh, 2010 H1N1, the only oxygenator that we used for ECMO was the Colabo oxygenator made by Ted Colabo at NIH. And it, uh, a company called SciMed made it, but then they were uh, taken over by Medtronic. So Medtronic made the oxygenator that made it possible to do ECMO for 30 years of time. And uh, it, within the company, they, they hated it because they were hard to make. Uh, half of them failed. That they didn't sell very money. And so if it had not been for Medtronic in that 30 years of time, that you know, ECMO would just be starting now. So so they've been central to this development from the beginning. Once uh, McKay and Novalung came out with their ECMO-specific devices, uh, the folks at Medtronic said, thank God we don't have to make this thing anymore. We don't have the liability, which was significant. And who knows where this ECMO technology is going to go right now. It's 800 people a year. You know, who cares? And and so they dropped out of the business for, for quite a while. And the devices that we have now are very good. Now, meaning the last three to five years, Medtronic is getting back into the business of ECMO devices, and they have a superb oxygenator, and they have cannulas that are specific. Um, those are made at MC3, which I should tell you is a company that I started along with some other people years ago. I'm out of it now, but the, that, uh, that that's, that's how Medtronic got back in the business, and they're very good at it. So what, what you're saying is what new devices and technology should Medtronic be looking at? And uh, the main answer is they should do everyday ECMO, but do it better than anyone else. And they're getting close to that. Now, the things you mentioned, having a, a cath, when you put a patient on VA ECMO for cardiac failure, uh, we usually do it through the femoral vessels which is just easier for many reasons. And uh, so if you cannulate the femoral artery and you're on bypass, the uh, distal leg is not well perfused. It's fine for the first couple of hours. And then the vessels spasm and there's no flow to the foot. Uh, so from the surgeon point of view, you've got the patient on ECMO, everything looks good. You go home, you go to bed, and always three hours later, they call up and say, now the foot is cold and blue and whatever shall we do? So you have to go back. So our what we teach everybody, what our practice is, you cannot leave the bedside until the leg is fully perfused, even though someone says, no, look, it's pink. It looks pretty good. I put a pulse <laughs> on it. doesn't matter. You have to perfuse the leg. So there are two ways to do it. Uh, the one that kind of makes sense is to cannulate the superficial femoral artery distally and Y off the perfusion circuit and perfuse the leg from above. Uh, that's not nearly as easy as it sounds, because when you put the patient on, they're arresting or they're profoundly ill. So you're scrambling to do whatever you can yeah. just to get on VA bypass. The last thing you're worried about, we'll just stop and put a catheter in the, 
superficial femoral. So you get on, oh, good. Now the patient's on. Now they're level off. Now they look good. Uh, well, maybe they're good enough. I don't have to cannulate the leg. No, no, you do have to. But uh, how are you going to do it? Now you've got a big catheter in the common femoral artery, and the patient's already anticoagulated. So what are you going to do? Try to do it percutaneously. You can do it if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, you'll make a big hole in it, get a big hematoma. Uh, you can do it by cutting down on it, and that works. But now you have a pretty big operation going yeah. on. Uh, so, but those those things are being done. What we've always done, what we well, I guess we've always done in recent times, is to cannulate the posterior tibial artery at the ankle, and then you can Y off the arterial line and perfuse the leg retrograde. The vessel's always there. It's always easy to do. It takes 15 minutes. And so uh, you might say, well, the patient can't walk. <laughs> right. <laughs> if this patient wants to walk three days from now, I'll be delighted. I'll figure out right. how to do that. So so that's, that's what our approach is. But the most important lesson, I think, is whatever you do, you have to perfuse the leg before at the yeah, time yeah. you're cannulated. You can't wait till yeah. longer. Uh, you, Very important. Implies that wouldn't it be neat if you had a femoral artery catheter that perfused the body proximally and had some kind of side hole that perfused yeah. the leg distally? Uh, and the more you think about it, the more you realize it's never going to work because it's going to move a little bit, and pretty soon you yeah. have nothing yeah. but a big hematoma. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I know a lot of companies have put a lot of time and effort into building yeah. that dual direction femoral artery catheter. Maybe someone will do it. But you don't need it. It's so easy to cannulate the posterior tibial. Yeah. So great, great advice. Yeah. Well, well, Doctor Bartlett, it was really, really very uh, useful for me to learn about this whole history about ECMO. Very fascinating stories that you have to share with us. So I would like to thank you very much for for this interview and the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to your you know, continuation in this space. Uh, we need people that have the history and also have to look to the future. So thank you very much for this. And uh, yeah, hope to see you soon again in, uh, in real life. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. And thanks to Medtronic for putting this on. Uh, you've heard a lot of things that need to be done in the device world uh, and a d dual direction femoral catheters. Not one, don't waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, David. Good advice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.